0: When you think of the world's biggest tech hubs, you think of Hong Kong, Japan, Silicon Valley, but I'm on my way to a sleepy fishing town on the Cornish coast, a good five to six hours south of London, to not just meet, but actually have a conversation with the world's most advanced human-like robot. I am here to
1: help you learn. Shut
0: up, Amica. On this day, Will is her master, and theirs is definitely an old-fashioned relationship. Amica, shut up.
2: So, Chris, the big announcement this week was that OpenAI's ChatGPT has gone enterprise.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It had to happen, right?
2: Yeah, and so they've released enterprise-grade security and privacy into ChatGPT, and that basically, I think to summarize it, just means that they're not going to use your data to train on, which is what everyone wanted.
1: A bit like, oh, you wouldn't want someone to come and smash the glass of your store, would you? You better pay us.
2: Yeah, well, this was one of the reasons why no one or or a lot of enterprises were actually banning ChatGPT in the first place. Because they were worried, obviously, about proprietary data being shared. So they've addressed that with ChatGPT Enterprise. I thought probably the most interesting parts of it were... They say unlimited access to GPT-4, no usage caps, higher speed performance. We assume that's because it's going to be hosted on Azure two times faster.
1: And 32K prompts as well. Yeah,
2: and the big one, 32K prompts. The other thing is shareable chat templates, but I did see a leaked screenshot of this today, what it actually looks like. And it's not that exciting. It's just literally what you would think about it's like a text box and you can put in a prompt and and share it with others
1: they definitely seem to me like as far as web application development goes they're either not prioritizing it or they're amateurs at it because you could add a lot of really really simple commodity web app stuff to make their app a lot better but they just don't seem to it seems like a sort of v1 very early v1
2: Yeah, I guess it comes back to the question, are they just making so much money that they feel that they can, and they're so far ahead that they can just slowly iterate and add, you know, incremental features. But the other call outs that they said at the end of this story is we've got more features in the works and we'll launch them as soon as they're ready customization, securely extend ChatGPT's knowledge with your company data by connecting the applications you already use. That sort of sounds to me like embeddings or maybe allowing you to connect to your data warehouse or different data sources. And then they had availability for all team sizes. So this is something that a lot of people online have called out right now you've got to talk to sales and have a big enough team to warrant buying into ChatGPT enterprise. So they're talking about a self-serve ChatGPT business offering for smaller teams so in theory other teams would be able to access this if you've got like a four or five person company um, they're talking about additional power tools for what they call advanced data analysis now which is just code interpreter renamed they're really that's, everyone's criticizing how they've named that and it's because it is absolutely shocking advanced data a- a- analysts it definitely analysis.
1: seems like yeah, they're going into the application space, which is a little confusing and it seems a little bit like a company that doesn't really know what it wants to be.
2: Yeah, we were talking about this before recording in the sense that this is a full-blown move into enterprise software and releasing enterprise features, all the compliance that comes with that. And then the the last point I'll I'll call out before we move on is solutions for your function, more tools for specific roles such as data analysts marketers customer support and more so they're clearly developing custom business and enterprise solutions here with enterprise software but their nominated goal is leading this path to AGI so I just don't get it it's like are you becoming a b2b SaaS enterprise company built on top of your APIs or are you trying to be like a you know build the best models and and yeah it's
1: like vertical integration gone mad or something they they're not quite sure at what level they they want to operate and i do find that confusing because what we've always said is that we actually think the future of the deployment of models is going to be within other applications and directly integrated into the the tools you normally use or new tools that will come out rather than you go to some AI dedicated application and copy and paste or integrate your data into it and then take that out back into whatever you were doing. Like they're sort of on the inconvenient side of using it.
2: Yeah, th- that is the point I've made often is that are these tools, like if you look at what Microsoft is trying to do with Bing uh, Enterprise, which is essentially the same thing in a way, and then how they're embedding it into all of their office tools. Do people that are just not up to speed with this kind of stuff, or do, do they just go and use the Microsoft tools, or, or do they go and use the Google tools because that's built into their existing workspaces and connected to their, their corporate network and their corporate data? It just seems like that's probably the way it pans out, as opposed to you having this separate application and then having to wire all the data into ChatGBT.
1: Yeah. I wonder if part of it though is them just protecting their revenue in the short term. So they're really keen on the AGI stuff. They're keen on building the newest, greatest models, but they can't have these 20% drops in revenue. I mean, I know we're going to talk about them having huge revenue, so it might not be that. But perhaps it's just look, if we announce enterprise grade security and enterprise tools, companies will continue to use us en masse. So we'll keep our revenue up while we pursue these other goals that we actually care about. Sort of like Elon Musk, how he's like, Oh, I just built all this crap so I can get money to go to Mars.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good point. Like maybe it's just building these tools to fund the mothership so they can keep marching towards their mission, which is pretty, you know, a a pretty good goal. But then you've got all of the people that are paying the bills. I think paying probably most of the bills right through the APIs, like say Salesforce that announced a series of AI features, I think last week or the week before, where they've really got all of your all of your data or or enterprise data stored in the cloud already. And they're just building these experiences into your already existing workflows. And then I just don't really understand how this aligns with them being a customer of OpenAI, but then you've got ChatGPT Enterprise coming out uh, sort of in, you know, in competition to that uh, as well. Yeah, I, I just don't know the answer. You're right. It
1: is in direct competition to all of the things that they're promoting that you can use their API for. They're like, we'll also do it and we'll give you templates that you can share so you can do it too.
2: The real question about this product to me is is this just a niche product? Like, uh, you know, things like, what are they calling it now? I already forget, like data analyzer or something those tools are not necessarily that easy to use right now. Like you've got to know the scope of them. You've got to play around with them a lot to get familiar with what you can actually do. And I'm just not sure I can see this kind of technology spreading wide in the enterprise when right now it's just a lot of enthusiasts and people playing around with it to to figure different things out.
1: I agree with that. And I think the thing about the use of the modern lang- large language models is there are two very distinct kinds of usage. There's the the casual experimental style usage, which is how I'd ca- categorize, you know, using it for a school assignment, using it to write a, a document for your work and things where it's like zero shot or multi shot. Uh, use of the large language model to just do whatever writing code all that basic stuff but then there's the fully committed we're going to customize a model we're going to train data we're going to write detailed fixed prompts and test them and actually investing time and money as a company and i would argue at the moment if you're going down the second path then you'd be much better to use an open source model like llama 2 and fine-tune it for your own purposes than you would. Going off and paying for commercial tools when it's actually more difficult to do it even through their new tools than it would be to do it yourself
2: Yeah, I guess is as they bring out bring out like bigger context windows and I'm assuming they'll have some sort of embedding solution at it in the future, which is what they allude to. A, a company's just willing to pay a subscription service to open AI forever or indefinitely. And to host their trained models on there and use that application, um, because they don't have the expertise to go and train their own models on open source and build interfaces and and do all of these various things. So it, I, I don't know. It generally feels like in these, in these kind of categories, it, it really is somewhat of a winner takes all approach. Like if they get this into the enterprise first, then do they just win because that's what everyone sort of default uses? Yeah, I
1: think it'll it'll deeply depend on how well their fine-tuning interface is I assume it's going to be fine-tuning when it comes to that data or like you say embeddings or something but right now those things are very sparsely documented api docs if you want to use them and so they're going to have to go a long way in terms of their application this is an application remember when they just added the the function stuff which doesn't even always work three weeks ago, you know, they're not not—they're not exactly blowing people away with their ability to build enterprise SaaS software. So they're really going to have to step up their game if people are going to invest at that level to have their stuff on there. Like I, I get what you're saying. Some companies are not going to have the expertise to do it themselves, most won't. So if there is something that does it for you, then great. But they're really just not demonstrating at the moment that they have the expertise on that side of, of application development.
2: I also found it interesting... A company that's really built on the back of self service, where you just go you use the product, it's amazing. You want to use it more, so you put in your credit card, pay the $20 a month, and get you know greater access to it. And people have put up, as you say, with a lot of like bugs where they were sharing uh, chat histories with other users accidentally um, and it going down all the time while they were paying customers and, and
1: removing and- features like the web browse thing, for example.
2: Yeah, and and people have put up with a lot. And then to to turn around and have contact sales for your enterprise product, it just feels a little bit odd. Like now you've got a sales team, you're adding this complexity to the business. Um, it, It just, I think what you said earlier is like, what are they trying to be here? Like if they announce like we're just going fully after like business and enterprise with this technology and building out solutions and use cases for them, it would be very logical to go on build all these teams and various components of the business and focus your energy solely on that. But I always worry in the early stages of an organization when they're trying to focus on you know, going and building this sort of enterprise SaaS offering essentially. And then also, oh, we're gonna build models to solve AGI um, when there's all this increased competition or seemingly increasing competition out there from open source models.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like you can't be the best at both and they're definitely going to be mediocre at one. Clearly right now they're building the best models. So I just don't see them being the enterprise winner. And I know you keep saying you think it's sort of winner takes all, but I think the market is so fragmented now. I just don't see how one company can dominate. Uh, Maybe they can for a while, but I just don't see how it is a winner takes all scenario here.
2: Yeah, it, it still remains to be seen whether people just use AI in the context of their day-to-day workflow or they do want to go to something like ChatGPT and have this other relationship or other app in that stack that's just connecting in well to all these elements. I'd be curious, especially for our listeners who can comment on YouTube, if you're using ChatGPT in the workplace, like would you be interested in getting the enterprise edition or this self-serve business edition? And if you are, why? And like, what are you using it for? It'd be curious just to hear from you to see, you know, how people either intend to use this or are they just not that interested in it as a product?
1: Yeah, I think the SOC 2 certification is really significant because it'll mean it can come back into businesses that have banned it. So I think that it'll definitely help them in terms of getting people back to it who've decided as organizations that it's to be banned. Because now with that kind of security and guarantee that the data is safe, that I think that more people will use it again, I just don't see it as particularly sustainable when there's going to be other point solutions as part of existing products and also just dedicated enterprise products that solve specific problems rather than a generalist.
2: I also wonder if there's scar tissue from the whole like Facebook era of... You know the last sort of era of social media development where these companies didn't take privacy very seriously at all i mean facebook is is known for you know laughing about uh how people gave it data and they could see it all uh i just wonder if the enterprise is scarred from these tech companies you know controlling their access to their own data and not taking privacy very seriously that it does actually change how this technology is embedded into enterprises where they do look to develop their own fine-tuned models their own interfaces their own processes around using the technology and larger companies do avoid being tied to OpenAI's technologies longer term the only really piece of that missing is just having comparable models and capabilities
1: yeah and i think the other thing is we talk about and we're going to talk about meta again today but the hearts and minds of developers if you're a developer who's working with OpenAI's APIs right now and then at the same time OpenAI is saying well we're going to build an indefinite amount of products that may or may not compete with what you're doing it's kind of hard to go well I'm going to I'm going to bet my future and bet my AI career I suppose on a company that could turn around and just enter my industry at any given time
2: yeah, I agree. This is again goes back to what's their game plan here? Because you know, do they have they lost faith in the fact that longer term, this business of providing APIs, as we've suggested on previous episodes, may get eaten up by the open source community. Like maybe that cash cow goes, and people actually value the software and the processes and the the use cases built on top of the actual models themselves. Like maybe this is actually just more of a hedge, acknowledging that others are catching up and that it it just might end eventually the money they're making from API calls.
1: Yeah, that, that is true. That probably is part of it is just ensuring that revenue stream continues for longer because right now they must be worried. They must be seeing the figures of of people going to other stuff.
2: Yeah. It's like, that's the argument you want to make, but then we heard this week uh, in a, a article on the information OpenAI passes 1 billion revenue pace as big companies boost AI spending and apparently they're already generating according to this article 80 million in revenue per month so you can't really it's hard to sort of sit around and be like oh you know they're worried about cash if they're on track to to be at a billion dollars and i would assume most of that income is coming via the API
1: yeah. And I mean, that is one thing, but didn't we hear several weeks ago about how much they're spending per month? Because you've got to think that if they're running that level of inference, are they running every single one they run at a profit or not? If they are, then that's fantastic. But you wonder what the margins are. And then if they're not, they could be, the higher that revenue goes, the faster they're burning cash because it's it's what they're spending on all of the hardware. So it's without having the actual full financials of the company, it's hard to know. Is that billion dollars, you know, just selling dollar notes for ninety cents, or is it is it real, tangible money that's making profit for the people who own this thing?
2: Yeah, like what is the gross margin on that that billion dollars? They could yeah, because in- I
1: I can't imagine a tie. Like when you look at the cost of running models yourself. You, you realize that unless they're being run very efficiently and you're, you're maximizing the value of each GPU you're running, it really would be hard to make a profit on inference alone without any value add on top.
2: Yeah, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But it is interesting tracking it. And I think that the ChatGPT Enterprise product, I can see it being very popular with technology companies and companies that want to be seen as forward-thinking with their staff, handing these tools over and seeing... Know, what impact it can potentially have um so anyway we'll keep following chat gbt enterprise we said chris last week we were going to report back on code llama because it had just been announced last time we recorded so you've had an opportunity to play around with it what are your I- impressions of it now
1: i think it's very good i think it doesn't blow me away to the point where compared to say github copilot or gpt4's ability to write code that it's notably better it definitely seems to do a lot more um rote like just replicating code that it's literally seen during its training i gave you an example where it just outputted some guy's name who'd written the code and a function he'd written i assume verbatim i mean it it certainly had the hallmarks of just being straight out of someone's code example so it's sort of weaker on that front uh at least in my experimentation however it's fast it it definitely does the job and i think the most significant point about it is you've got something out there that can be applied to specific problems it can be retrained it can be used commercially that does a pretty good job compared to say the the models we've seen so far that are via api you can't customize and they're not in your control at all
2: do you think though it still comes back to this idea of accessibility like Cool, great model guys. But in the day to day, how do you use it? How do you compare it to say using GPT four to help you code? Because it just it seems like these models just keep coming and going and how do you work it into your day to day? Like I there's no way right now, if I wanted code examples from Code Llama, I like I'd have to run it. I, I how do Yeah, I...
1: I mean, like you can try it on hugging face, but then it's slow and it may not actually answer you. you. You're right. In terms of actual day-to-day usage, it's wildly impractical because you'd either have to run your own GPU server that's dedicated just to you, which you definitely wouldn't get full value of because you're not going to be asking it for code examples every five seconds. Um, or you're going to have to run it on someone else's and no one's really providing it commercially. So it really is the case where it's got to to form part of other future applications rather than being an alternative to the existing models for day-to-day use now.
2: Yeah, I just keep, I have the feeling that we on this show and others keep talking about how disruptive open source is to OpenAI's models, but I still always come back to the point that, Really, where are people going to mm. like it's very hard to break that that habit of just going back to ChatGPT and potentially Chat GBT Enterprise when you want to get great code examples? I, I I struggle to see how like one of the organizations is the Australian company Canva listed using Chat GBT Enterprise. And you think in Canva's case, it's like, are they really gonna spin up Code internally and then build their own interface for it? And use it like prob probably not. Like anything, they just put together a stack based on a series of, of tools and subscriptions to help them be more efficient as an organization. So yeah, I don't like I feel like I'm just contradicting half the stuff we've said. No, no, no. But... I
1: I agree with you. And the the same company isn't just gonna go and use some brand new startup that's that's applied code llama to um, you know, and then doesn't have the security certifications, doesn't have the guarantee, you're right. A company like that is going to go the mainstream route with a big trusted company or trusted-ish company that has an enterprise offering, absolutely. So they're coming in at the right time to capture that sort of energy from the the enterprise space for sure.
2: I'm wondering now if if this is like a trend, so it's like we see Claude Enterprise as well and it's like, you know, the safety cult itself announces an enterprise product and like this is just now what happens to all of these large language models they all sort of push into this space and follow the leader almost like search engines did back in the day
1: yeah it it might be that that they need to do it to protect their protect their place and keep the usage of their their models up there
2: so we saw another model released from uh, meta during the week uh it's kind of interesting i don't think it's like you know, insanely groundbreaking in terms of things that we've talked about before. It's called Co Tracker. And Chris, can you explain what Co Tracker does?
1: So, what it does is it basically makes a grid of pixels in a video. And then it can track the position of those pixels as they move over time. So, for example, they've got a, one video that's like a bear. And as the bear's running, you see the pixels that make up the bear or the parts of the grid of the pixels that make up that bear move. So, you can actually see how that object moves over time in the video and they're aware of that. And so, it can do multi-object tracking. So, you can essentially, in a given video, track the entities in that video indefinitely, basically. So to me, this can only be relevant to meta in terms of its, its work in the VR space, being able to track arbitrary objects in, or maybe even an augmented reality space, tracking objects in videos accurately without predetermined knowledge of what those objects are or having sensors on them. So you see those examples where they do motion capture on a figure um, where there's all the dots. It's very similar to that motion capture thing, but without the the dots, like you don't really need it. You just need a video.
2: So, yeah, and this is something that there's sort of two camps on with the whole, you know, Zark and Meta constantly releasing technologies. There seems to be one camp in this discussion that's saying, well, you know, Meta's just doing this to stop others making money, like by making all of this technology very accessible. And they're also doing it to show investors that, hey, we're ahead on this AI thing as well. Um, And then it helps the community improve their existing models, which they can then take and uh, apply into their business. And then the other side of that argument, and this is something that you called out, was this idea of, no, no, no. Mark Zuckerberg really is just thinking super long-term here about his metaverse vision. And he just wants to make VR great. And if they put out all these models, it helps because the community can really help improve them over time.
1: Yeah. I was reading a lot of opinions on this and really trying to think through what is the motivation of just releasing things. And last week I said exactly what you said, which is you know, it's really trying to kneecap the competition so no one gets a handle on it and becomes a big player that threatens meta, which probably is a nice side effect, even if it isn't the primary goal. But yeah, I I read this opinion that was basically, what if he just has this vision where he wants this metaverse thing to really follow through? I mean, he's sure as hell invested a lot in it. Um, and he realizes that a faster way to get there is with the AI tools so for example if you don't have to develop all of the motion tracking tools required to track objects the way I just described and you can do that using AI well then the faster that technology advances he's then got the platform to deploy that technology on in a way nobody else has so there's no downside in the rapid advancement of that AI for him. It's only advantages. And so if you think about it like that, and all of these AI pieces just simply being components of getting to that metaverse vision that Zuckerberg has, where he wants to make a little bit of money off everyone in that virtual world with virtual economy and all this stuff, then it starts to make sense. Why wouldn't you put it out there and get the benefit of all of the developers win their hearts and minds too? So when you get to the metaverse, you've got people who are enthusiastic about you and your product and your vision.
2: Yeah, you could also see it as a strategy to just get so far ahead of Apple and their Vision Pro by just advancing the technology in the open source community so rapidly that they, you know, they've got all of the tools they need to get this stuff deployed or deliver it on really affordable, accessible headsets as well.
1: That is the other thing, because the thing we do see from open source is because most people don't have the resources, they have to run on constrained environments. The whole thing about the open source models is that they make smaller versions of each of them. And you're right, if that means that cheaper, more commodity hardware, that plays into Meta's playbook so much better than Apple's, for example, who's always going to have the more expensive high-end hardware.
2: I really wonder, though, if we'll see, like, meta gpt enterprise and they'll, they'll actually put these technologies together like the the large language model the code uh specialization tools and and also try and compete similar to to uh chat gpt as well
1: it would it would make sense and it comes back to what you were saying earlier about say code llama being quite inaccessible to regular people right now If Facebook, sorry, if Meta was to have an offering where you could actually use all of their open source models in a proper way with proper security and speed, then I could see that being popular really rapidly on their existing audience.
2: I still argue with all of this that, you know, everyone sort of said, "Oh, this is ChatGPT Enterprise or this ChatGPT business is the death blow to so many of these what they call wrapper startups." And for those unfamiliar, it basically means you've built your AI startup on top of an open AI's one of OpenAI's APIs, and you're just really providing a good interface or a very focused solution. So a good example of that might be the um, Gupta GPT, which is the uh, Martin. Sh- Sh- what is it, Martin Shkreli Sh- Sh- or something? Whatever the guy that sold the AIDS medicine for an expensive price and everyone hated him is a better summary. But he's now created this online doctor. We covered on the show previously. And it's really just a rapper, I believe, uh, trained on some, you know, with embeddings of, of medical advice and, and things like that. And so that would be considered a rapper startup, but it's very specialist in, you know, it feels like you're talking to a doctor and it it looks that way and it's got a bit of a personality baked in. And so you can totally see people still using a lot of what they call wrapper apps like that. I I don't think this is like some death blow to all of the different innovations that we will see. Yeah,
1: I I definitely don't either because it's not easy to do that. Like it's very, it's, it's simple to say, oh, well, I could spin one of those up in no time. But really, when you think about the things that go into building a product like that, you need all of the user interface. You need the payments infrastructure. You need a sort of billing model that works so they make a profit and the person's not paying too much. You need really good prompt design to make sure it sticks to the task at hand. You probably need example data, fine-tuned models in some cases, and things like that. There's a lot of actual intellectual property and work that going goes into making one of these wrapper businesses. And the the reality is if the competition is, okay, I'm going to log into ChatGPT Enterprise and set that up myself, there's still a the same amount of work, or maybe not the same, but there's still a percentage of that work you've got to do in terms of getting the prompts right, getting the data in there, sharing it with your team and all that sort of stuff. So it doesn't just automatically wipe out all the startups just because it's capable of doing the same thing.
2: Yeah. And this is the thing. People also need ideas of of what they can actually accomplish with AI. So that doctor example is like, well, you associate it with a doctor. So you you know that's where you go and you ask its medical question it questions and it can keep track of that it's not necessarily something you're going to put into chat gpt on the personal side today or you know i i just think a lot of these wrapper apps are actually more very fine tuned processes on you know built on top of ai that help people accomplish very specific use cases and i just don't know if this catch all approach where you know, it's like almost like an open world game. Like you drop them in Grand Theft Auto, and you go, "Hey, go and have fun." Like some people have the enthusiasm that they'll just end the creativity that they'll go and like they'll make up a game in Grand Theft Auto and they'll create their own plot and have a a bunch of fun. But then there's other people who are just not very good at that, and they want mini games and like you know different uh, like a, a levels to complete and things like that. And so to me, it's a similar when used as a metaphor for ai there's that enthusiast crowd right now that's in there just figuring out cool things they can do with it and being creative with it and and seeing where it can fit into their day-to-day lives but then on the other side of the equation there's people that log in and they're like i don't i didn't even think it could act as a doctor for me
1: yeah that's you're totally right i think that that sitting at the the empty prompt it's sort of like creative writing if someone gives you constraints and a topic and something you've got a limit to, it's very easy to write. But if it's just an open slather, empty canvas, it's very difficult to do. I think the other thing to extend your idea that really comes into play, and when I talk to people in everyday life about AI, which happens more and more, uh, partly because of this podcast, you hear about their jobs and you hear about what the problems that affect them in life. And they're like, oh, could AI do this? Could AI do that? And I think that some people, like you say, are exactly that. They have access to GPT-3, oh sorry, I don't know why I said that, Chat GPT, and they know that they can use it anytime they want, but they're still asking the question, could it do this? And there's two elements to that. One is, like you say, they don't know how to do it. They don't know how to craft a prompt. They don't know that example data will help it get better. They don't know the right way to interface with it. And even if they did, it's a fair bit of work. And secondly, what the wrapper the apps really sort of do is bring people's real life knowledge, real world knowledge or industry knowledge into the prompts and into the examples and actually make it more value. I would argue there's huge, huge value in people who understand deeply the processes they do at say their job, which they can then use from their job and, and sort of codify their job into a series of prompts and data that can then do the job for other people.
2: Yeah, and and this is where I come back to the wrapper app is not necessarily a wrapper app, but more codifying, as you said, these processes that we do in our everyday lives, whether it's our personal lives or our professional lives, that can actually make us more productive and efficient. And I still come back to chat GPT has a product problem or a sort of very like a use case problem with this stuff. Like it's just not going to move beyond... I think, a niche of many users in whether it's enterprises or businesses that are just enthusiastic about it and are using it often enough that they've figured out how to make it fit into their lives. And we saw an article this week as well, and it's kind of hard to validate if if this is true, but there was all that talk over the Northern Hemisphere summer that, you know, chat GPT usage had declined, visitors are down, um, you know, all, all of that. Uh, kind of talk that we've covered before but the this article went through and talked about like what do people actually use it for in each session and even one of the the most interesting data points was they they broke down number of prompts per chat gpt session i'm not entirely sure how they actually got this data by the way yeah let's assume it's real and it said that in their session your
1: privacy is really really high when you're using it yeah
2: so, single prompt, 34% in a chat wow. GPT session. So, they just went in, prompted it once. How are you today? Yeah.
1: As an AI model, I can't tell you how I am. Tell I me I always say take your clothes off and it's always like, no, nah, won't do it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, category breakdown of GPT four prompts. It, it says 30% of prompts are programming. That doesn't surprise me. I would have thought it would be more. Wow. Uh, 23% is education. Uh, 20% is content and then 13% sales and marketing and then 6% personal and other. So it does start to break down, you know, those those use cases. Python is up there. Like it's 4.12% of the words that were featured in users' prom.
1: That's remarkable given that... I would have assumed it was just this widespread people using it to cheat on their homework and do their jobs. It's interesting how much of those jobs are programming jobs. I mean, I I guess it stands to reason, but that does seem high to me.
2: Yeah, it's still, like, I guess back to my earlier point, it's just very niche still. Like, it's very much the early adopter enthusiast era of this technology. Um, And obviously that can be worth a billion dollars in the modern economy because these ideas can spread fast. But... Yeah, I, I think just to get this technology into the hands of the masses where it's going to slam them in the face one day is, as you said, it, it, this is, it, we've got to map all of these processes and see these productivity gains and actually show people how to use this technology. And that, to me, is where you you get these, you know, industry specialist rapper apps, for a better word, that are going to come out and be quite successful. And It also
1: seems to me like that should be the sort of, natural way things progress like it's natural to me that there would be api providers that provide different models for different cases allow you to customize the models with fine tuning sort of like OpenAI's original pitch was and then people then go and develop industry specific applications that incorporate their knowledge of their industry and the data from their industry and their specialists and they're the sort of next layer down in that market and um you know, with that, I spoke about vertical integration before, where you don't expect the the company that's providing the generic models to try and solve every problem in every industry. It just doesn't seem right nor natural.
2: Yeah. And then you wonder, like, do OpenAI see themselves as this platform, then they eventually go use all their money that they earn to round up the best platform apps and sort of sell it as this AIOS type thing where it you know it and then it just
1: doesn't feel right to me it doesn't sound appealing as a company doing that right like what acquiring all these different companies and trying to be sort of like salesforce for ai it just it, it's incompatible with how i see them on the, in the landscape
2: true but i mean it's how all of these big companies form right like google had their their one trick pony which was search and then apart from gmail just went and made a ton of acquisitions so yeah. how Maybe it's no different here with OpenAI. It's just the next big tech company, and then they finally uh, figure out AGI, and then we're all screwed anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> the last big tech company.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's the sort of elephant that's lurking beneath the surface. Um, where uh, is it a big front for developing AGI, or is is it just an advertising technique to sort of flirt with the idea? Say, oh no, 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 you better protect us from that. It's really dangerous because we're so good.
2: Yeah, who knows. Um, So on to another topic that we we don't really cover that much on the show because there's just so many advancements and it's kind of hard to cover visual things on a mostly voice podcast, but we've seen um, some pretty interesting developments in the image creation space or image editing space. And again, this is one of those communities where I think it's still in that early adopter enthusiast phase and... You were saying before the show, like if you look at um a company, this i what is it i ideogram. ideogram AI, uh which I'll I'll talk about in a moment. But if you look at it, there's just constantly people the same as Mid Journey, which is still um over on a, a Discord community, just people just constantly creating images. There's so I mean many... if I
1: I had to shut down Midjourney Discord before this podcast because it was chewing all my bandwidth there's that many people generating images and that's just one channel of hundreds where people are just constantly using it and paying for it mind you
2: Yeah and and it really is these people that are just like um you know constantly generating things and playing around with the models and and learning
1: learning what the models are capable of learning prompt design learning where the limitations are of the models it's quite Inspiring to see what people are doing with it.
2: Yeah. And so this, um, this ideogram, it was, it's, it was built by former, uh, DeepMind, uh, contrib- like contributors, people who worked at DeepMind. And what it, what it's really become known for in, in the last week or so after they launched is its ability to do text really well. Because this is something, as many would know, that, these image models have struggled with and I'll link to this in the show notes so you can go try it out yourself but I'll put it up on the screen for those that watch and so uh, my prompt was um, I had to put in a single woman not in the sense of her relationship status but just in the sense (laughs) that like otherwise it would do multiple women in the shot um, holding a sign saying free pizza in front of the Sydney Opera House that was my silly prompt and I've obviously picked out the best uh, result from the the multiple results it gave but i think this image is pretty good it's a, a fairly realistic photo of a woman holding up a sign that says free pizza on it the the free pizza text is like really clear to see mm. and then we ran that same prompt um through mid-journey and i think the 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 photo realism of mid-journey seems just like way better and just it does people so much better but in terms of Being able to write text. Um, But for those that obviously can't see, it literally just says um, freezer and fear.
1: Well, Um, I think that one is it's combined pizza and beer, which probably often go together in the source material.
2: Yeah, actually, that's a good point. So the text is clear, it just doesn't make sense at all.
1: Yeah, so they can actually render legible text. It's just it has no, like, it, it just can't quite take it verbatim from the prompt.
2: But this definitely gives these models a lot more utility, like you can easily imagine now being able to create logos for your business, eventually different, you know, headers, like, like in terms of flyers and
1: billboards and advertisements and things like that, that you couldn't really do right now without some sort of hybrid model.
2: Yeah, and then MidJourney has these new tools like this infill technology, where you can select a certain part of the image and then prompt it to do that bit slightly differently. The one of the examples they give is where you can select a smile on a on a face and say like frown or or whatever, and actually just change the the mouth. So it's it's pretty evident that these image tools are going to get to the point where it, you know you can create really anything. And I, I know that sounds like the bleeding obvious thing to state, but I, I think we can't even fathom how disruptive this is and how, as I said earlier, the people that are not embracing AI or starting to try and understand it like this enthusiast crowd are going to get slammed in the face by it, where it just one day starts to take over some of these disciplines. In and I also
1: think in the meantime, we're going to see a lot of news headlines and things where fake images and fake videos and things have confused people and caused all sorts of chaos where people can create photorealistic images that are believable.
2: Yeah. It, but the, the, i the argument I always hear around this stuff is like, but you can already do that in Photoshop. But I think it's just at the scale and with the text and the sheer realism and the speed at which you can do it and react to the news is really what, will be so groundbreaking about this stuff.
1: Yeah, like you say often, it's the, it's the labor saving. It's the fact you actually will do it because you can and you can do it really fast. It's not like sitting all day on Photoshop on the hope that the image you make will get picked up or people will be interested in or cause trouble or whatever.
2: On the show, we've often talked about this idea of creating very specialist models um, for, for different tasks. And by combining those specialist models, you could create a truly powerful uh, model or, or tailor it to special applications. For example, if you're looking at something in the medical space, you could train it on being able to understand you know, x-rays and medical imaging and it, you could also have a, a specialist cancer doctor in a group of agents. We talked about MetaGPT a couple of weeks ago, but there's this paper that's been released called Prompt to Model. Do you wanna talk us through the implications of this?
1: Yeah, I found this one really interesting because two weeks ago, we talked about the idea of synthetically generated training data for AI models and how um, one of the models had proven that they could actually create synthetic data that gave better results on fine tuning than human aligned data did. So that was a really fascinating thing because that led to us thinking, well, future intelligences and future AI AGI will be able to train specialist models on data it makes itself to make itself better at particular skills. And so when this paper came out, I was like, well, this is another step in that direction that's happening really fast. And so the way prompt to model works is very similar to a regular large language model prompt, multi shot prompt, where you say, here's what I'd like you to do. So the instructions, and here are three or four examples of doing that. So the example might be, Um, I want you to be able to take any sort of numbers in text. So if someone says 4,742 in words and turn that into an actual number, or, you know, if a number is represented as Roman numerals, I want you to turn that into a regular number and give it three or four examples of that. What this prompt to model then does is it takes that, it turns it into a far more advanced prompt for OpenAI. The, the one we I was looking at was based on uh, OpenAI's models. Um, it makes a far more advanced prompt, which obviously has a lot of their research go into how they do that. Um, and then what it does then is it goes and uses the model to generate synthetic examples, thousands of them, um, and then it uses those to then, it then uses that to select the top relevant model of Hugging Face. So it actually has built into it like a search that will search all of the open source models that are available for fine tuning, find the one that is most closely aligned with the problem you're trying to solve, which is also part of this tool. Um, And then it will use those examples that it generated um, using OpenAI, uh, it's it's custom prompt for OpenAI and fine-tune that model on all of those examples. So it's very similar to what we saw with the human alignment where they would go do, say, Alpaca based on a bunch of custom human prompts on GPTs, except they've done it with fully synthetic data based on you just giving it two or three examples.
2: So what, what's the difference between, uh, it's not called fine-tuning, but what was prior to that that you... Yeah, well, you could provide a few examples to the AI, which would well that's like that's
1: sort of like multi shot, like that's the standard large language model thing where you the if you give it two or three examples, it can take those, recognize what you're trying to do, and then go. What this is doing is taking that to the next level. So it uses that multi shot technique to generate tons of examples, which we've then shown that by fine tuning smaller models on those, it can outperform the larger models on that specific problem. So, so the the result of this prompt to model thing is you can very very quickly from a very small amount of input data create custom smaller models that are cheaper, faster, and better than using a larger general model for the specific problem you're trying to solve.
2: So does this mean that you, in theory, you could imagine if you're trying to solve a problem, the the sort of master LLM going in and literally doing what we speculate, which is going okay. I'm going to go fine-tune something to get the best answers to solve this particular problem. Could it get that fast or is this...
1: Well yeah, I think it can get that fast, absolutely. If you've got the hardware to do it, you can train these models fairly quickly and the thing is it depends on the level of inference you're you're expecting from this model. So if you think about the trade-off of time, if you're just trying to solve one problem one time, then using the larger general model is better. But if you you know you need to solve this problem say a million times, like say you've got a data set of a million items, you want a dedicated thing that's going to process and classify those or whatever it is really fast you go train your custom model then run your data set through that you're going to be able to get through it cheaper faster and better than you otherwise could have running it all through the general model
2: i still think and i i know it's like been this like boring theme maybe of this episode but it just comes down to accessibility like this is super exciting this would be really cool to try out and train for very specific parts of maybe your app's workflow, but are, is anyone actually going to do it? Like, yeah, no the
1: thing, like the, the, probably the simplest way you can do this now is using a Google Colab notebook where, you know, you, you run through the steps, but I tried this a bunch of times and I keep running into issues with the input data. It can't generate, um, solid. It's not reliably generating the JSON examples. You need programming knowledge and you need mostly you need time. To work through it and actually do it. And this is the problem. In theory, it works. When they do their paper, it works, but they've done it on narrow use cases and regular people wanting to try it really need to get their head around what's going on experiment with it and then even then once you train your model you're like oh if only i'd done it this way it would have resulted better you've then got to go back and you need days and weeks and months to actually really make the most of such a technology so i agree with you if someone turns a prompt to model into a dedicated let's say wrapper tool that allows anyone to to give a prompt and a few examples and then it gives them a model that, that they can then use via say an api that's a valuable product right there i think people would use that
2: yeah um, and this is my point is I don't think something like ChatGPT Enterprise or anything they potentially release is necessarily harmful to startups that want to go and tackle some of these problems and deploy meaningful solutions like for example having an API that can fine tune and select models when given some data that you can then use in your app to me that is a great startup idea like that could yeah. be a legitimate business
1: Yeah like training dataset generator that that would be valuable like you know you upload samples of your data securely it then builds you a million examples to fine tune something on and then yeah. maybe takes it to the next step i agree the value add is in the in the labor saving because if you do have to iterate on such a thing or you don't have time or the expertise to get to that stage and someone can do that bit for you of course that's valuable and it's going to be it's going to be hard to see the big guys competing with every single value add along the way and you know nor should they
2: So do you think we'll see more papers like this, like more attempts at this synthetic data fine-tuning? Yeah, I
1: think that, yeah, the overarching theme there for me that's really exciting is that the synthetic data is giving very good human-aligned results. You know I'm not a fan of alignment, but I mean human-aligned in the sense that, wow, this is actually working. It's not getting worse. It's not degrading because it's using synthetic data. I think... That concept means that you're going to be able to make far more powerful models that are cheaper, faster, and better than the large models without necessarily having to be a hoarder of data or necessarily having to be the overlords of the data. Like I can actually see this kind of thing being stamped out or regulated at some point because um, it's so powerful. Like Anyone could compete with the, with, in, in specific domains if you can make your own training data and build your own models.
2: So does this mean, like, taking it back to the most simplistic example, if I wanted to create a rapper app that writes Batman stories, like the, the, the origin of our first episode, and I gave it a few examples of good stories that, uh, you know, my son liked, and yeah. it creates great synthetic training data on this, it fine-tunes a model then in theory I would have the very best Batman storyteller in the world. That's right.
1: You would have your own proprietary model that you control that that can do it better than a general prompt can on, say, GPT-4. And that's it, the theory.
2: And is the benefit, though, here that instead of a Hollywood studio having to go and embed, like, all of their best scripts or best box office film scripts and then fine-tune a model like the fine-tuning we saw last week from OpenAI's uh, 3.5 fine-tuning, is this version just much more simple because it can be done on the fly? Is that the benefit? No,
1: I think the, I think the key to this system is what we discussed with the unnatural data two episodes ago, which is where what they're saying is that let's say I had three of the best Hollywood scripts ever written, which is Rush Hour 1, Rush Hour 2, <laughs> Rush Hour 3, um, and I took those and I put it in this system, right, prompt to model. It then which which wouldn't work by the way because they're too long right the prompt size is too big right now but let's say you could because that will come um and you it then goes and generates a hundred thousand hollywood scripts based on those out of say gpt4 right so it makes a hundred cost a bit um makes a hundred thousand of them based on gpt4 it then takes llama to 32 um, billion parameters fine-tunes it on those hundred thousand scripts, right? And even if you read those scripts and they were shit, right? Like, even if you're like, this makes no sense, this is garbage, they have shown in the papers that even the bad examples make it better at doing it. And in terms of what a human thinks about the resultant and output. So instead of having the three best scripts in the world, multi-shot running through, say, Claude 100k, and it gives you an output... You're going to have 100,000 mediocre, some are awesome, some are crap, some are whatever, scripts, fine-tuning a model, which then results in something that's better than all of it and better than the original. But how does it
2: know that it's a bad script or a good script?
1: I don't know, and I don't think they know either. They're just showing through doing it that it's giving better output, similar to we talked about Stable Diffusion, how they showed that giving it examples of giving it bad output ...made its final output better when you gave yeah, it... Yeah, but I think problems.
2: in that case they were telling it... ...these are bad outputs. No, they, they weren't. Oh.
1: No, no. That was just giving it those as, as part of the training data.
2: Yeah, it's, so, it's mind-blowing. I mean, this, this seems, again, like I was banging on about it last week... ...being the biggest breakthrough yet... ...is this idea of synthetic, synthetic data... ...and these models either becoming smaller... ...and more fine-tuned and better... ...and being able to be built relatively on the fly... I mean, this is, this, there's when a it, lot
1: of advantages to it. Yeah. And, when it's um, accessible. <laughs> and I think that when you ask, are there going to be more papers? I think there will be so many, because if you think about it, it's far more accessible, even to the paper writers, they need less resources to do it. They, it takes less time to do it because you're not spending all your time curating data. Um, and the, yeah. And, and, it, and it's cheaper to do as well.
2: I think we need another niche podcast like this day in synthetic training development. <laughs> this day in synthetic <laughs> get training get a bit more focused I mean, with our content.
1: It's not a bad idea. I'd love to hear some listener ideas on on what kind of synthetic prompter models we could do as experiments just to see how good it can do. Maybe I should do the rush hour example. You'd have to you'd have to truncate it or you'd have to use probably Claude as your source of the examples. Um but and you know, run say Llama two with a bigger prompt size to do it. But you could do maybe short stories, or maybe your Batman example.
2: I but- reckon even better would be like a Mr Beast, like like outline of an a. Uh- one of uh, his yeah, uh, YouTube like a storyboard. videos? Oh, yeah, Because I feel like it's something everyone has either seen or could quantify. Like, okay, this would actually make a good Mr. Beast video.
1: Yeah, like we should do it and then like, pitch it to my kids and go, oh, Mr. Beast has made a view- new video that does this. What yeah, do like what do you
2: think? I See, I feel like because it's shorter and something that we could potentially do. So we should try and do that for next <laughs> yeah, week. Yeah, and... okay.
1: I think that's a good idea. Mr., Mr. Beast episode plot generator. Yeah, you can
2: read me some plots. And see, you know what would also be interesting is to compare multi-shot. Will we actually just give it a few transcripts versus this fine-tuned.
1: That's a great idea. So yeah, we do multi-shot GPT four Mr. Beast generator and Claude 2. And then we do prompt to model fine-tuned dedicated model for Mr. Beast.
2: Yeah, and maybe the audience can vote. We won't tell you what what they are, and then we'll see what what the results are. It would be a fun experiment to run. And And then we I
1: think a very important stipulation is that we've got to take the first output from each. We can't curate ourselves. We can't use our own preferences on the output.
2: Yeah, no cheating at all. Yeah. And then also, we should release a paper on Axios. Um- <laughs> Let's release
1: a paper, <laughs> Mister B Script Generator. I mean, the quality of some of them. You could- as long as you- we just need shitloads of fake generated references. Yeah. And then we could probably. Do yeah,
2: it. well we'll get it to fine tune like frauding references as well.
1: I mean, put it this way, you could use prompt to model to do fake paper generator pretty well, I reckon.
2: Well, maybe we should do that as well, like two experiments. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, wait, we could generate a fake paper once the results are in. Um, Well, not really fake, but partially fake paper. People
1: make whole careers doing that kind of thing, and then you do a tour, how I faked a paper, TED Talk, TEDx, or whatever the TED low is, TED Z. (laughs) The lowest
2: rung of TED. Yeah. (laughs)
1: where you're in like, you know, some sort of like small town, small country town, and you're talking about your fake paper.
2: So I was going to introduce this next segment um, myself, but I thought the internet did a better job. (laughs) Google had an AI conference today. Did anyone care? (laughs) So they had, they didn't really have an AI conference to be fair, but they had their cloud. I think they call it cloud next, which they have every year, where they announce for the like Google workspaces, a bunch of new innovations. And they've already talked about Google Duet before, which is basically embedding AI right across the Google workspace apps. Very similar to what Microsoft's doing with with Copilot, which you don't hear much about anymore. Uh, And so I just, I had to call this out to laugh at it. I don't think the announcements are that interesting at all. And everyone is more than familiar or could just make them up in their head, what the announcements are, and they would sort of be close to what they announced. But I just, I can't help but laugh at this. So Google Meet, which is Google's meeting, like corporate meeting product like Zoom, new AI will be able to go to meetings for you. So the idea is like you could essentially get, like, if the the example they give is, oh, you've got a conflict. So you're so important that you have two meetings at once. So
1: you fake it. (laughs) <laughs> well no you don't
2: you don't fake it but it just like goes as you and takes notes um from the meeting and then summarizes it and gives it to you but my point here is like but
1: how do the other people feel
2: i God. get all well, you're too important you you're double booked so you're like super, you're you're more important than them it's like a hierarchical thing so you know it's
1: such a gimmick it i is. mean seriously who is seriously going to do that in their job
2: and also why are you having why are you even having these stupid meetings in the first place to go and not even pay attention like it's even even it's <laughs> yes. like if you're late to the meeting you can get a summary of what's been said in the meeting tell me in your entire professional career how many times have you ever wanted a summary of what's already been said in a meeting i mean
1: there's been heaps of times where i'd love to fake fake me to go to the meeting to pretend i'm there i would absolutely use that service personally but in terms of like masquerading to say your employees, or like in a in a, a real meeting that you care about the outcome of, to fake it just seems insane.
2: The example they give, and I'm not kidding here, is if you pick a ten for me, Meat will bring up your talking points even without you there. So you give me like you can go to the meeting and it it will it will in theory bring up talk like this is mental. And should I have
1: bike shedding mode where you can distract people from important topics by bringing up unimportant topics and <laughs> but, going on about them. But endlessly. People
2: stop having a meeting. If you have to use AI to go into the meeting and bring up to like, this is, it. this is truly insane. It just shows that they acknowledge that most meetings are like complete and utter waste of time. It'd
1: be sweet if one of the AGIs got into the the avatars and started to like destroy the company from the inside or co-opt it for their own purposes because the boss is too lazy to show up to the meetings.
2: Yeah, just like bringing up like stupid talking points. And what if it does? Meeting? What if it
1: does start issuing directives based on your authority, um, and the people have no way to tell it's not you? Which I doubt. But I mean. Like it could really seriously lead to some problems. This just seems like an odd thing. Like it just seems like a developer doing it because we can, because we can do it. It's definitely a valuable service. Like
2: I think they just don't have any vision at Google right now at all. Like they have lost the absolute plot. Like they, they, they're like literally like, Oh, I know this is a great announcement. And, you know, being able to write some poor generative content in google docs is great because our model is literally so bad that no one wants to use it Yeah, it's
1: like bard is now the best tapestry weaver in the world it's like subscribe to the tapestry api yeah it
2: just doesn't really make sense and then the other part is they again they just keep announcing this stuff but no one really seems to have access to it and like occasionally it pops up i don't know anyway i don't The point
1: is that there's so much good stuff in the space that who has time to log in and try Palm 2 as an alternative? I mean, I just don't see, unless you're already part of the Google ecosystem for your cloud offerings and they're offering you you some incentive to use it, I just don't see why you'd go try it. No one's talking about it being better in any way. It might be as good, but there's just no real excitement around it. And and Google's already untrustworthy with, with their APIs. Why would you go investing in it? if it isn't significantly better or different.
2: Yeah, they announced like, on their Google Cloud that they're hosting Llama 2 and blah, blah, blah. Like, I, I just honestly, does anyone even care at this point? But I, I think we, we will wait and see what this Project Gemini is all about. Maybe we'll have egg on our face later this year on a podcast. Hopefully. We'll...
1: I, love, I love apologizing for being wrong.
2: Yeah, so hopefully we're wrong and we'll be like, Gemini, let's go, baby. But until then... I'm not so sure.
1: Yeah. Until then, we'll just fake our way through our meetings.
2: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So one last lol for today before we go. So Chris sent me earlier in the week this Sky News report um, about robotics.
1: Yeah. Um, and I, I only clicked on it because I thought sometimes these these AI things are funny. And what I wanted to find out is they're talking about, you know, the animatronic robot things and it was the influence of large language models and how the people working on the animatronics like, whoa, okay, this LLM stuff is actually going to make these bots a lot better. That's why I clicked on it. But then the result was just weird. Like, I was just blown away that they would show this.
2: So I'll just uh, play two quick excerpts, the introduction and then the the funny bit for you here.
0: When you think of the world's biggest tech hubs, you think of... Hong Kong, Japan, Silicon Valley. But I'm on my way to a sleepy fishing town on the Cornish coast, a good five to six hours south of London, to not just meet, but actually have a conversation with the world's most advanced human-like robot. I get the feeling today's going to be one of those days that I will never forget.
2: Okay, so one of those days that he will never forget. Now let me play you the day, an excerpt from the day he will never forget.
0: She's free-thinking and opinionated.
2: I am here to help you learn. Shut up, Amika.
0: On this day, Will is her master, and theirs is definitely an old-fashioned relationship. Amika, shut up. Hello, Amika. I'm Jonathan Lee from Sky News Australia. (laughs) (laughs) Amika, shut up.
1: I mean, it's it's like he wants to show off that he can abuse it or something. It's like, it's just, you're showing off your butt then you're telling it to shut (laughs) up.
2: It's truly weird
1: it's like that episode of silicon valley where there's a startup building one of these robots and the guy like has a emotional relationship with it and he's using all the funding just to build his own girlfriend kind of thing it just seems a bit like that to me like the guy has such a close connection with it it's just it's just done with her bullshit and it's like shut up i'm sick of you. yeah like
2: living in this obscure part of scotland like you know where no one really knows it exists playing with these like weird ai Thing that he can abuse, like it's just so weird. There's it's nothing. Like this is your
1: this is your day in the sun to show off this amazing thing you've made, and you you're telling it to shut up. Like it's just so weird.
2: Also, like you can just tell, like from its responses, if you watch the whole video, I'll link to it in the notes. That you know, it's it's literally just like a thing that makes eye contact and responds to you with a voice, just like a chat GPT with a personality
1: yeah it literally it's like it's like a puppet it's like it's like a marionette puppet like seriously because the voice generation isn't even that good and they're really just piping through you know large language model output a text to voice generator and a few little servos that make its mouth move like it looks complicated but i just don't see what it's doing that a a google home device couldn't do it's
2: just a wrapper app
1: (laughs) yeah <laughs> yeah, it's a rapper app. It is. It is. Just a bit of steel.
2: All right. We'll end our rapper app show on that note.